Hello and thank you for downloading this podcast from the Farm Advisory Service. Today I'm joined by Lynn White from Scottish Forestry. Lynn, if you'd just like to introduce yourself. Thanks Douglas. Lynn White, as Douglas said, from Scottish Forestry, Forestry and Farm and Development Officer. It's great to be asked to do this, as I say, these are common questions I've been asked since I started, so uh, really good to get them out there. The, the idea behind this podcast is to answer some of the questions that come up again and again, so that if you're in a position that you think about creating some woodland, but you don't know what the process is or what's involved or how to go about woodland creation, you can have a listen to this podcast and it'll give you a better footing for going forward. So we've got 10 of the kind of most common questions that come up again and again. The first one's just a nice simple one. How would I benefit from woodland creation? I'm sure everybody's aware of the benefits of woodland from shelter belts and hedgerows and that kind of thing providing shelter in cold conditions or they've had really hot summers and that and providing shade, increasing productivity and reducing costs if stock can be left out that wee bit longer when they're, they're uh, protected from the, the worst of the weather and that type of thing. We've got one breach to protect crops, reducing soil erosion and that, preventing damage to crops. Diversifying farm business, so we look at maybe income streams from saleable timber, so you're getting a financial return. Biodiversity improvements, pollinators and insects, they have provided uh, shelter and that type of thing from woodlands. And Scotland's forests and woods are home to about 172 protected species, anything from a pine mountain to twin flowers and crested tits and things like that. And 75% of the UK's red squirrel population is in Scottish woodlands. Adapting to climate change, that's the biggie, obviously, people hear about planting trees for sequestering carbon and that type of thing. Again, depending on what your objective is, it could be used for protecting game birds and providing a source of food for them. Another big one, improvement in water courses. Protecting our soil, biggest asset on your farm, obviously, is your soil. You don't want really want to be washing it down the barn. And they help soak up runoff from manure and fertilisers. Definitely don't want to end up in the barn with that. Also, from a management point of view, because of the way the, the grant scheme is, is structured, you might benefit from the fencing the new woodlands and that kind of thing. So making management a stock that be a bit easier. So great situation, all the above benefits for your business and you're going to receive funding for them. That's great. That's a great answer. It's very comprehensive. And I think it's interesting there that, I mean, that's oh, there's all these benefits and they are aside from potential financial income. The grants are there to... Um, to help you establish your woodland. So, I mean, you've got your capital you've got your capital payments, you've got your area payments, and there are a host, a range of different options um, within the forestry grant scheme for different woodland types. Just a couple more points from experience within consulting. For me, you mentioned benefits to, to watercourses. It would be worth saying that fencing off areas along watercourses, creating what they call riparian woodlands, can help reduce things like poaching. Um, you mentioned um, the water quality, but also um, steep ground or wet ground or difficult ground to cover on foot. If you can remove that, then you're not going to be in there trying to keep on your feet when you're looking for a lost cow. You know, you're, you're making the, the farm easier to manage by removing these difficult bits of ground. Lastly, I'd also mention fluke. Uh, if you've got some bits of ground that are constantly rushy and you've got concerns over fluke, then planting those areas and sort of removing them from the equation can help benefit the, the health of your flock. Moving on to our next question, what would you say is um, critical for a successful woodland creation scheme? As I've got a, an agricultural background, I see trees just as another crop. So looking at it from a practical perspective, trees are no different for wheat or barley or any crop in that sense. Just a bit bigger. Just a bit bigger. I'm taking <laughs> a bit longer to get, get to fruition. You would look at species choice as you would look at variety choice. 
you would look at ground prep, you would look at your method of tillage and sowing and that type of thing. Look at protection, whether it be deer fencing or shelter, or the fact that uh, you would use pre-emergence sprays and things like that and protection for, from slugs and aphids and that. And obviously ongoing maintenance that you keep the crop growing, you've got maybe growth regulators and things like that. So again, trees are just exactly a long-term crop. So species choice, very important. Certain places you wouldn't grow maize, so in certain areas you won't grow a certain type of tree. Certain areas better for scotch pine or broad leaves or sitka or whatever. So very important when you're making those choices. Again, ground prep, do you just turn it over? Do you produce a mound? Do you screef or whatever? Again, depending on your situation, all very important to consider that. Protection again, do you have a deer problem? Do you have a rabbit or a hare problem and that kind of thing? So protect for those issues. And ongoing maintenance, obviously, to establish the trees well, you need to look at weeding and that kind of thing. Again, it's 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 not for the rest of the tree's life. It's just to get that establishment there as you would with any crop and mm. keep an eye on it. The main thing is actually keeping that tree density right as part of your your funding, you have to have a, a certain number of trees and a, and a hectare and that type of thing. So very important to keep that correct. I think it's a great point you make there about um, trees just being another crop. Uh, it's something that forestry seems to be sometimes viewed as a sort of separate entity from farming. But ultimately, yeah, you're right. It's it's a crop that you're trying to establish and whatever it may be that you're trying to grow, you would have to sort of take action to help encourage it. Another issue there would be before you even get started, the, the ground that you're thinking about planting, one huge point that's worth mentioning is deep peat. Um, so deep peat is defined as peat that's 50 centimetres or deeper. It's not to say that you can't have areas of deep peat within the field that you want to plant. So it may be that you've got open space within your planting area, which is deep peat, but it's important to state that those, those open space areas would not be eligible for funding you have an open space allowance within each option for the forestry grant scheme, but DP would be classed as what they call other land, uh, which is not eligible for funding. If you do have a bit of ground that um, you suspect uh, contains a large amount of deep peat, it's possible that you could carry out a deep peat survey. If you speak to your um, agent or consultant or even contractors, they can carry out the survey for you where um, um, the site's split up into a grid of 50 metre intervals to take a core, which then determines the depth of the peat. And from that information, you can create a map to show which areas are less than 50 centimetres deep peat, uh, and then from there see if it's going to be viable uh, in terms of eligible area to, to put a scheme in. Other concerns in terms of the land would be things like archaeology and um, designated land like triple SIs, SACs, things like that. These can be worked around, so these can be incorporated into your wooden creation scheme, but it is something you need to be aware of. The days of 100% planting monocultures across an area are, are no longer here, so there's a lot more thought put into what you're planting, where you're planting it, and yeah, as you say, the big thing would be why you're planting it. So moving on to the question number three, once an area has been planted, what should people watch out for until it establishes? Main thing is probably damage to trees. In certain circumstances, you might be aware of your, your deer population and rabbits and hares, but any grazing animal should be excluded until they're fully established. Vogue damage can be something that can just obliterate a crop. So being aware of them, like any crop, controlling weeds to actually make the, the crop establish really well and make it thrive in that, in that sense. And again, back to your tree densities, there's a multitude of options out there. It's amazing the number of options that you have with what kind of trees you want to plant and that kind of thing. But they all have specific tree densities per hectare. So a productive conifer's two and a half thousand trees per hectare. So 
it's again making sure these are these are in place and that you're successfully establishing your crop with these specific stocking densities. Your trees are in a healthy condition and are capable of going on and growing really well and giving you a good crop and meeting your objectives at the end of the day and just maintaining those crops and keeping an eye on them. Just like you would any crop, like an agronomist or yeah, anything. Coming through and having a look and just making sure that not somebody's not left the gate open and you've got a nice wee road here in there helping his cell to everything that's going. Yes, because it is amazing the damage that you know one or two deer can do. You might not think that it'll be the end of the world, but in terms of sort of um, meeting the terms of your contract with Scottish Forestry, it is something that yeah you need to give due consideration. For the um, stocking density that you mentioned there, I mean, there, there are things that you can do to sort of help try to mitigate against losses. So you mentioned the um, sort of minimum stocking densities for different options. So mentioning the um, productive conifers, is 2,500 stems per hectare. One thing that you could do would be to, to stock that at a higher density in year one, so maybe 2,600 or 2,700 stems per hectare, just to give you that cushion to allow for some losses. And again, you mentioned sort of um, vole damage, uh, rabbits and deer whatnot. There's, there's a range of funding for capital items, such as um, deer fencing, stock fencing, rabbit netting, vole guards, tree shellers. Just while we're touching on capital items, it's worth mentioning that there's 150% ancillary cost rule which means that your protection, i.e. your bull guards, tubes, fencing, whatever it may be, the value of these items can't be more than 150% of the value of the area payment you're receiving. Just try to get value for money for the taxpayer, essentially, um, so that you don't have very thin slivers of woodland that have a lot of um, fencing compared to the area contained within them. What are some of the main reasons that schemes would fail? I suppose if we go back to just it being like another crop as well, an appropriate species choice, the wrong tree in the wrong place, in the sense that in some areas, Scotch pine will thrive, in other areas, Cicaprusa will thrive, or a broadleaf will thrive. And you can look at it from the point of view that in some areas in Scotland, you just wouldn't grow maize, and you definitely wouldn't grow lucerne. So it's a case of putting the appropriate species in the appropriate place. Mm. Again, method the cultivation, um, very important to keep the moisture right and things like that for what you're going to what you're going to do. So again, very site specific in that. Again, we come back to our, our friendly deer and everything else like that. You need to avoid browsing damage, keeping your 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 weed burden down. Again, and being very careful when you do that. Make sure you're spraying the weeds, and not the trees. I've been on sites and seen, unfortunately, just that wee bit. Of spray going near the tree and killing the tree. So just be very aware of when you're looking after and weeding that and that, that you do the weeds, not the tree. One of these things that's been in the news recently is fire can be a major cause of failure. I know it's one of these things that we don't have a great deal of control over, but it's one of these things that you have to be aware of. You can't get insurance against your against fire for woodland creation schemes and that is something that is same with any insurance i mean you can run the risk of hoping for the best and you might get away with it but it is very good practice to have insurance against fire for your woodland creation scheme just because ultimately if the worst should happen and for whatever reason your scheme doesn't meet the contract specification then you would be expected to put that right potentially at your own expense going back to reasons for schemes failing so deer browsing and fence integrity i guess would be what it comes down to there there's 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 simple things that you can do as a as a landowner or a tenant to monitor your scheme i would recommend walking the fence line periodically i mean it doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be every other day but certainly you know a couple of times a year just to have a good look at the fence have a look at the the rabbit netting at the bottom ensure that nothing's getting in 
the gates would be a big consideration as well. So it may be that if you're in an area that you know you're going to have um, a lot of public access, rather than having a, a traditional gate with just a bolt on it that could be at risk of being left open, you could uh, have a vehicle access gate, which is padlocked, and then a pedestrian access gate, which is a kissing gate. Uh, which means that it can't be left open, but you can still have access in and out for walkers or members of the public. But yeah, it's very important to ensure that you keep an eye on the the, the area that's been planted and try to catch anything before it becomes a big issue. Um, one question I get quite often from a lot of farmers: Why do they have to keep livestock out of the planting area? So once you once you planted the ground and fenced it off, why can't you have your livestock in there? Livestock will eat just about anything. So they have no discriminate about what they'll actually browse on, what they'll eat. Trees have a nutritional value as well, so they might quite happily browse on the trees. Cows, sheep always like to have a good scratch on something. So your newly established wood or maybe five or six year old wood might just be perfect for them having a scratch on. So yeah. again, they're better, definitely kept out. The better managed your woodland is, the quicker it is to establish and it'll be beyond threat from livestock. So if you're looking after it, you're keeping the stock out and everything like that, it's going to get away quicker and it's going to establish quicker and it's going to be away from that height that they can actually do any damage to it. So very important that you do that. And interesting you say about walking the fence and that. The average woodland creation site at the moment is just 24 hectares. Right. So it's it's not vast acres we're talking about, massive big hillsides or anything like that. Again, 24 hectares. It's not going to take you two or three days to walk it. Yeah, that's smaller than I would have thought. I mean, you, you often sort of think that then the average would be a lot larger, but that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, ultimately you want to put in a scheme that's right for you. It's quite rare that it's a whole farm planting situation. It is more suited to meeting your needs, whether that's shelter or timber production or screening or a whole list of different benefits we mentioned at the start. And you mentioned there, um, if you put the work in at the start, so really the first sort of three or four years, I mean, in, a, in an average scheme, I would think that if it's well managed by year sort of three, four, it's well established and shouldn't require much further work. Once the, the trees are above the competing vegetation and growing well and well established, then you can sort of ease off a bit on your monitoring, but um, not have to worry so much about the crop failing. Just touching on keeping the livestock out, that it is worth mentioning that the area of ground that you plant is still eligible for basic payment that's there to help compensate for the fact that you're you don't have access to that land for grazing that's us halfway through but going to question number six which is one i'm based in inverness myself so quite often i will have clients um from argyle or uh, up in sutherland or sometimes even out on the islands, so the Western Isles and Northern Isles. And one thing that comes up again and again would be um, the higher costs due to the location. So you've got less availability of contractors, uh, more travel time. What options are there to help address the fact that there's higher costs in rural areas? There is actually quite a number of options out there. You've got target areas for local authorities being classed as preferred or potential by those local authorities. So there is a better payment for that. Looking at if you're in the Cairn Gorms, they have a private woodland, ex- woodland expansion area as well, so there's uplift for that. Woodlands and water, private areas identified by SEPA. And again, if you're looking at the highlands, you're looking at native woodland in the highlands and island, there's target areas for that. And certainly there's, um, there's higher rates for deer fencing. So in some of these areas, you're looking at what would be a standard area rate with the target areas. In some of these, there's £360 a hectare on your initial planting. Right. Yes, certainly. Yeah, so, so, yeah. so some of the payments, again, initial planting payment, annual maintenance payments, 
uh, are increased. So it's well worth looking into these target areas uh, that might fit what your objectives are. So I would suggest if you're considering planting trees in any way, shape or form, and what a wee bit of guidance, speak to your local Scottish Forestry Office. They have woodland officers, officers there who'd be delighted to have a chat with you on the phone and possibly come out and have a look at what your objectives are, come out, have a wander around and just see what your opportunities are and what options actually might benefit you and what would fit your farming system. There's a wide variety of options out there that you might not be aware of, but woodland officers would be delighted to come out and have a, a wee chat and just have a look around. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people aren't aware of, just the fact that there is this um, free resource there to to have that conversation and yeah, start that conversation wherever you want. It's just a case of saying, um, here's what I'm thinking of, here's what I'd like, here's where I'd like to put it, um, what's your thoughts? And then, yeah, I mean, they'll give you a good steer on what your options are and how sort of viable each one is. Another sort of source of information for these target areas would be the map viewer, a website with a, a map of Scotland. You can zoom in to where you are and you'll see down the side of the, the screen, there's a, a whole range of options that you can toggle on and off to show your um, target areas and uh, uplift areas and then see whether your property falls within any of them. And it, yeah, it's a great starting point is to see if uh, you're eligible for these uplifts, which can um, be quite financially attractive. So we'll move on to the next one. A question I have again and again is um, felling permission. So what is felling permission and why do I need it? Felling permission has changed just recently. So very important, probably just to say right at the beginning that if you're thinking about taking any timber trees down, speak to your, your local Scottish Forestry office. Always best to check. Nobody really likes a £5,000 fine per tree. Yeah, per tree, yeah. <laughs> per tree. The reason we've got felling permissions in there is to ensure that their checks are in place uh, for the UK forestry standard. So this is looking at a benchmark for sustainable forestry management. So... Scotland's forests have been managed sustainably, both economically, environmentally and socially. It's an overview, actually, of what's happening on the ground, so we can monitor availability of timber nationwide, ensuring woodland cover is protected, that things are not just disappearing and we're not aware of what's actually happening on the ground. So best to actually just have a, a word with your local office and then they'll be more than happy to give you a bit of guidance there. Some of it might be fairly straightforward, there may be no permission required, but in other situations, always important to to get that wee bit of advice. Yeah, so uh, yeah, as with all things um, forestry related, there's, there's no harm in contacting your local woodland officer and just having a chat because as you say, I mean, some of these penalties are very significant. You very much do need to ensure that you're in the right before you start taking any trees down. There are exceptions where you can fell five cubic metres per calendar quarter without felling permission. But again, if you're unsure of what a cubic metre of timber looks like or you're going to exceed that allowance, just pick up the phone, have a chat with your, your woodland officer. So question number eight, this ties in with restocking, planting the next rotation, and it's something that I've had a few people on the phone about sort of surprised that they have to do this. So ultimately the question is, uh, why do I have to restock my land and why does this not qualify for woodland creation funding? In a nutshell, woodland creation funding is only for new woodlands. It's actually a legal requirement of a felon licence to restock. And it is expected that the proceeds from the felon will actually cover the restocking. And it's important to say that I mean, there, there are tax benefits tied into forestry. So your income from timber harvested is free from income tax. So that's another kind of bonus just to help towards the costs of restocking. Having to restock would be 
required because of the Scottish government target tied into climate change for increasing forest cover. If the, if the land's not being restocked, then it's very difficult to keep track of what the actual coverage and amount of forestry in Scotland is. It's a good opportunity to restructure your woodland. So there are many shelter belts planted in the 70s and 80s, which are monocultures of often Sitka spruce. Upon clear felling, you have a, an opportunity to change the composition of that woodland for the next rotation. So introduction of some open space, introduction of broad leaves and shrubs along the edges, allow for on the next rotation, you know, 40 years down the line, retaining those broad leaves and shrubs, removing the conifer element for your income. But the benefit of this is that you are retaining habitat, you're retaining shelter. So on to the second last question. This is one where you have to get the crystal ball out. Will there be a market for my timber in the future? It was one of the surprising things when I started at Scottish Forestry to discover the fact that the UK currently imports 75% of its timber. We are only behind China in the amount of timber we actually import. Now, the money that's been invested, the climate change target figures, Mark, in Scotland at the moment, woodland cover sitting at 19%, and we're looking at 21% by 2032. The provision of substitution for other materials and house building and that type of thing. The investment, uh, the economic contribution that forestry makes to the economy is, is phenomenal. Again, it's one of these figures that it's a billion pounds a year. The equivalent of 25 full-time jobs provision in Scotland. So, yeah, 25,000, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's a fair amount. And so looking, again, crystal ball, timber prices and everything like that, the way we are and demand for it worldwide, we should be looking, obviously, to cut back on that 75% and not being dependent on other, on other countries. But I would say landowners, plant and trees, they can benefit from a ready market for their products. We have the biomass industry at the moment actually putting a bottom in the market. So there is the big investment that goes on by the forestry industry year round. And we're talking millions and millions of pounds, whether it be in sawmills or it be in biomass or anything like that. The investment is 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 huge. And the contribution, as I say, that it makes to the economy is, is uh, quite astounding. So, yes, planting trees for the future. Pretty good idea. Good stuff. I think uh, another thing, I mean, obviously, when we think about markets for timber, we are thinking about, you know, big sawmills that are producing them, um, uh, maybe carks and boards or could be construction to grade timber or pallets, fencing, a whole range of um, established markets. But it's worth considering that the market in future for your timber may be yourself. So you could, for first thinning, say you could be removing fence posts from your forest. Or you could have biomass interests, either your, you know, yourself or possibly uh, somebody local. Essentially, the less miles you can put on your timber, the more the return is going to be. But if you can be a bit kind of clever about where you're using that timber and use some of it very locally, as in on your own property, then that can really help increase the return and the benefit of that woodland to you. So the last one would be just a simple um, kind of catch-all of where do I go for further information if I want to consider woodland creation on my land? As we've kind of said throughout, first initial contact I would say would be a local woodland officer. Scottish Forestry has offices in Dingwall, Huntley, Perth, Hamilton, Dumfries and Selkirk. So across the country there are specific woodland officers that will cover your area. Good to have a chat with them about your initial thoughts, what you're considering having a chat on the phone, maybe having them out in the farm and that kind of thing. As At the end of the day, they will be the ones that are actually looking at your application. So if they've been out in the farm and had a wee look, it gives them a wee bit more scope 
when we're talking about actually applying for funding, it's open all year round. It's not like some of the other schemes that you can apply anytime. And there's no window or anything like that. So that's great. I mean, whenever you've got a kind of quiet spell, if there is such a thing on the farm, then yeah, you can have a chance just to have a look into it. And yeah, as I say, pick up the phone, speak with your woodland officer. Also, in terms of the farm advisory service, we have a range of technical notes, podcasts. We have meetings that we arrange, uh, which are free to attend. There, there's a whole range of different uh, options for information. It's been great talking to you, Lynn, and thank you very much for coming to the office to, to record this podcast. It's been great to chat with you, Douglas, about these things, because it's one of these things that, as part of my job, it's about making that connection between farmers and our woodland officers, making it happen that trees can be planted, meeting those farmers' objectives. So it's great that we've done this podcast and just make things a wee bit more straightforward and hopefully be a bit more trees planted. Well, thank you very much for your time and for answering all these questions. I think the big takeaway would be contact your local office from Scottish Forestry if you've got any questions uh, and also make use of the Farm Advisory Service uh, website and phone number for some free advice. So thank you very much. No problem at all. The Scottish Farming Advisory Service provides a telephone advice line which you can call for free advice. The number is 0300 0161. Visit the FAS website at www.fas.scot to find out about free events near you.